0: All right, it's 13 after 11 o'clock. So last week, Wits University launched the Public Economy Project, which does research into public financial management. Professor Michael Sachs is the coordinator of the project, and he's going to be talking to us now about a particular paper that he presented at the conference, and it was looking into how we as a country arrived at the fiscal crisis that we're currently Find ourselves in Professor Michael Sachs. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Kathy, and please call me Michael.
0: No problem. Uh, so let's let's firstly begin. Might be a bit, might be a bit difficult for me, but we'll we'll see what we can do. Uh, firstly, Michael, perhaps let's just start with what you believe has led us to where we are today in terms of our country's fiscal position.
1: So I think uh, an important starting point that uh, many South Africans don't realize is that South Africa has a very large fiscal state. In other words, compared to other developing countries, our capacity to spend and tax is extremely high and Mm. well-developed. Now, uh, most people looking at the fiscal crisis that we face today the argument goes along somewhat along the following lines: uh, things were going very well, and then uh, we had uh, a bad administration. We had state capture. We had nine wasted years, and now we're in a crisis. I have a different view, mm-hmm. which is that um, uh, decisions were taken after the democratic transition, uh, essentially in the in the in the Mbeki administration to raise the level of social provision, to increase social grants, to increase expenditure on education and healthcare care and policing, all of which were good and right decisions. The problem was that uh, the economic growth that we experienced when those decisions were taken did not continue. And after the global financial crisis in, in 2008 and, and from around 2010, after the World Cup, if you like, South Africa's growth started to decline. Mm. And um, that was not mainly because of what South Africans were doing. It was mainly because of changed global circumstances. And what we were unable to do uh, w- when we faced the situation of falling economic growth was to adjust our fiscal commitments downward. In other words, to reduce the, the provision of health care and public education and social grants and policing, we could not do that. And of course, in a country like South Africa, which is as unequal uh, as we are and has the, the poverty and the inequality and the unemployment that we, we have, it's not surprising that we found it difficult to adjust uh, these, these services downward. And so we were stuck with a very high level of social provision. Uh, but without the economic, without the income generated by the economy to support this level of social provision. And we really, my, my point is that we, we kind of remain in that position and we're now facing the consequences which mm-hmm. are very painful
0: one of the things that we often hear in particular coming out of the national treasury's office and even part of the justifications for uh, the current freezes on something as simple as wages is that the country currently has a high debt to gdp ratio Uh, talk to me about the the particular issues that arise out of our debt and also this idea that we don't have a debt ceiling uh, that if it were in place could well have been a much more, could create a much more manageable environment in terms of our spending.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think. Uh, usually the starting point for this conversation is, as you ma- mentioned, the debt-to-GDP ratio. Mm. And, and and that's an important thing because it's like uh, if you're a household and you have a certain income, uh, 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 salary, and you, how much debt do you owe compared to what your salary is? That's what the debt-to-GDP ratio is trying to capture. But it's actually the ra- wrong starting point. The real issue is the interest that we pay on that debt. So many countries, such as the USA or Japan, have very high debt-to-GDP ratios, much higher than South Africa. Mm. But they don't pay any interest on their debts, or the interest they pay is very low. They have a low interest rate. So if you owe a million rand, uh, and and but you don't have to pay interest on that debt, in a sense it doesn't matter much that you owe a million rand. You'll pay it one day, but it doesn't affect your lifestyle and your life in the meantime. But when it comes to uh, South Africa, we pay a very high interest rate on our debt. And so as that interest increases, more and more of the money that we have to raise, that we raise in taxation has to go to those interest payments. So again, as a household, if I, if I just use that analogy as a, as a, as a way of explaining it, that uh, more and more of your salary is going straight to the bank to pay the interest on the debt, not even to pay off the debt. Mm-hmm. And that leaves you with less and less available for uh, living your life, for the things you need. And the same for government. As the debt, ri- as the debt interest uh, payments rise, uh, less is left over for health and education and policing and the things that we want our tax uh, rands to, to, to be spent on so it 's a very important issue kathy and I think uh, the, the, the the point certainly that i 'm trying to make is that the, the 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 painful medicine that Treasury is proposing is very painful mm. uh, in terms of reducing the expenditure on the things that we value uh, but on the other hand. The, the impact of rising debt is also painful and it's a problem that, that South Africans do have to address. We, we, we can't avoid that problem or pretend that it doesn't exist.
0: Is the, is the position that we are in today, in your view, um, completely unavoidable in the sense that you now have a situation where and and you've detailed it in some of your graphs where uh, public expenditure has been decreasing over the years which also means that we are in a situation where some of the services that are valued within our communities and within our society that are necessary are less funded today than perhaps they were five years ago and Yet the need for these services in in our communities is increasing. Is austerity the only way out of this situation? And and perhaps if you can juxtapose it uh, for me against what we have seen, the trend in other countries, which has been to increase their spending.
1: Mm. Yeah, again, the, the underlying issue is really the national income. How strong is South Africa's economy? Because uh, it's, it's from the national income that uh, government diverts resources. Government doesn't, in a direct sense, create any any resources of its own. It All it can do, really, is claim, make a claim on, on the resources that others create, essentially, in the private sector. So that claim, how is it exercised? It's exercised through taxation or, or borrowing from, from people who have money to lend, or in some circumstances by printing money. But all of these are mechanisms through which the state diverts resources from the economy more broadly and uses them to service uh, us through health and education and policing and other things, uh, uh, provide services that the private sector would not provide. So the ultimate problem that South Africa faces and, and that some other countries don't face is that our national income uh, has been falling for, uh, well, our, our income per person has been falling for about five years. Mm. But for many, many years, our, we, we have been unable to generate a path of growth of the economy that can uh, sustain our fiscal commitment in a long-term sense. So so that's really the issue we need to address. And if we, we're unable to address that issue and if our economy becomes, continues to shrink and become smaller and smaller and smaller, it's kind of inevitable that the, the, the amount of resources that the government will be able to mobilize from that economy, mm-hmm. whether it be through taxation or any other method, will begin to come under pressure.
0: The argument that has been made by some economists is that the the easiest way of growing GDP is by increasing public spending.
1: So, as I say, um, you, you know, uh, finance uh, generally and, and kind of macroeconomic policies like that mm-hmm. are, are, can function as a bridge. In other words, if, if your economy is growing and uh, you expect it to continue growing, but then for some reason or another let's say a covid pandemic there's a shock to your economy and some and somehow your income is lower for a temporary for for a time you want to take action to prevent that shock uh being uh entrenched in the economy because once your income becomes lower it has all kinds of effects that begin to undermine the economy as workers become unemployed they slowly lose skills or or fall behind and and become less employable. So Mm -hmm. you want to act using government, government expenditure is one of the mechanisms you can use to raise government spending uh, in order to prevent that shock uh, um, uh, getting entrenched in your economy. But this is a bridge to a far shore, to the other side of the river. And on the other side of the river, you have returned to a normal situation of growth. Uh, and, and an increasing income, but if you face a situation of not you're, you're not followed, there's not a river but a sea, and uh, actually you cannot see the opposite shore, then simply to raise government spending, mm. it's a bit like trying to pull yourself up with your bootstraps. Because as I said, uh, the 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 gov- ultimately the government generates resources by diverting it from from other sectors of from other parts of the economy. So if the other parts of the economy don't respond to your government spending by investing and growing the economy, then there's a limit to what you can do with, with that kind of policy. And I mean, we've, we've actually seen that over the last decade where uh, since uh, probably 2010, as I mm. said, as growth has been falling, the only sector of the economy that has been growing is the government. Well, it's the government and the financial sector, which is another uh, set of issues on its own. So, so government can't continue to grow indefinitely if the underlying economic base is contracting.
0: What do you think is going to be the real impact of of where we are in terms of the current budget and what it looks like on inequality in in this country? Yeah. Uh, you know, because the, the message generally that that is given to people right now is that, well, we have to feel the pinch for now to avoid a disaster later. But what kind of world are we going to be exposed to in this in this later part?
1: So let me use the example, the, the simplest example to explain is, is the police. But, but the, same, the same logic applies to other social services like health and, and education. So if you look at just a number like how many police officers are there in South Africa, um, a decision was taken, as I said, in the 1990s that a big problem in South Africa that was limiting our potential for economic growth was crime. And it was decided to substantially increase the number of police officers in order to combat crime, and and indeed that was implemented. And so from about 2002 to about 2012, you had an almost doubling of the size of the police force. But since 2012, the size of the police force has been declining. And the budget that has been tabled by National Treasury now by the Minister of Finance envisages a dramatic decline in the number of police officers. In addition to, to, and uh, adding to that, of course, I'm talking about the number of police officers, but the other big issues is the salaries that the police officers receive. Both of those things are going to fall. Now, because we live in a divided society uh, in which all of these social services I'm talking about, health, education, and policing in particular, are segregated. In other words, segregated into a private sector, which uh, has abundant resources and is paid for by by fees and and user charges, and a public sector that is paid out of taxes, because we live in that situation, the affluent will be able to protect themselves from that development, because they will uh, pop out some more money to strengthen the private security that is guarding their houses. So, And also, uh, as they strengthen that private security, there is unlikely to be any wage constraints amongst the private security sector. So the incentive, so first of all, that the number of police officers in the public sector will fall quite dramatically. And secondly, the, the wage differential between the public sector police and the private security services will begin to narrow. Creating a, a bigger incentive at least for the best police officers in the public sector to, to migrate to private, into the private yeah. sector. Mm. And so what you will have is an erosion of capabilities in the public sector to deal with crime that will affect in particular the those South Africans that rely the most on the public sector. Which the poor, and those who are not in gated communities with their own uh, private security companies. Mm. So the same logic applies to uh, health, where you also have this segregation into public and private, and education. The same dynamics will take place. And what you will see, because the fiscal consolidation that is proposed is uh, supposed to continue over the next three to five years, you will see a significant weakening of the capabilities of the public sector. And uh, since the poor depend more on the public sector, this will lead to to a worsening of inequality in our society.
0: Inequality already as it stands is in a very bad place in South Africa. So it's unimaginable to think about what a worst case scenario could look like and if we'll be able to get out of that Um, as as unscathed as as, as possible. Um, uh, Professor Sachs, let me do this. I'm going to go to the 1130 news headlines and and I'll give you an opportunity um, just just to respond to that, you know, worsened inequality. What does that practically mean for for our country and how much longer then is it going to take us to get to some of the promises that have been made to people about the hope of a better life, uh, Luanda Maume is standing by.
1: The talking point with Kathy Mosasana weekdays 9 a.m. till midday.
0: All right, let's continue our conversation with Professor Michael Sachs. He is the coordinator of the Public Economy Project at Wits University. And of course, we're getting ready to round up our conversation. But Professor Sachs, my question to you uh, before we went to, to the news was really about, you know, th- the concerns around growing inequality in this country and what that, that means for, for a future trajectory in terms of really trying to close the gap between the haves and, and the have-nots
1: well uh it's it's probably the central uh issue that south africa faces in my view is inequality uh, as an as a economic issue mm. and um indeed if we are unable to grow the economy and uh the the quality of of public services begins to fall uh dramatically that is going to worsen inequality quite considerably Um, in my view, uh, the the issues that we need to uh, think about in how to address this problem of inequality, I would call them kind of structural reforms. In other words, changes to the structure of our society. Because we have been, uh, as I said right at the outset, we have a large fiscal state. In other words, our capacity to tax and redistribute the income uh, from that taxation uh, towards the the, the poorer sections of society is quite large, especially compared to other uh, developing countries. And we've been doing this uh, since the transition to to democracy. But what we really need to think about is not so much redistribution, but but what economists call pre-distribution. In other words, the income that is generated in the private sector, uh, in the, the market economy. That is where the, the, the inequality originates. And there's only so much that the public sector or the state can do to mm-hmm. redistribute uh, to address that inequality. So so what we have to do is address the, the structures in the labor market, in the education system, in the ownership of assets and wealth, uh that that uh enable uh, uh a reproduction of of inequality that enable inequality to reproduce itself uh by um, to, so we need a better distribution of assets rather than uh, more distribution of income
0: Professor Michael Sachs, we're going to have to leave it there for tonight or for this morning, rather. Uh, Let me thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, so certainly really concerning. We're just listening to um, what he is saying there in terms of where we could find ourselves, where inequality is concerned in the country, that we might not progress. But in fact, we might see incredible regressions um, on that scale over the next couple of years. What kind of society will that make for South Africa? What kind of position does that leave us in? You know, already given the fact that people are struggling with access to basic services already. So the the idea of it getting worse and getting worse, getting much worse over a period of five years, um, to me, that's that's incredibly concerning. All right, so in a moment, we'll be in conversation with uh, the City Press editor, Mondi Makanya. We'll be speaking about his latest piece, A Secret Deal with Apartheid Killers. At least it's a question that he's asking, and he explores ideas of who has the government really protected and where has been the pursuit of justice when it comes to those families whose loved ones were victims of violence and yet today are still waiting for some kind of recourse, are waiting for some kind of answers when, uh, where the cases of their loved ones are concerned.